We're going to be in the book of John, John chapter 14 this morning. And, and I must warn you, um, the passage that we're talking about today is one of the densest, most theologically rich passages in the Gospel of John. And if you don't really like that you know, deep, uh, rich theology, well, the Lord wanted you to have this passage today. I, I really believe that if you're sitting in one of our chairs here today, the Lord wants you to hear this sermon about this scripture. And so I'm going to do my best to make it understandable. And um, I, um, and I just want to encourage you that this is one of the, the, the richest, but also I think the most rewarding passages um, in the whole gospel that we're going to be studying, uh, if not the whole New Testament. Now, um, the gospel of John is a biography of the person of Jesus. It's, it's just a, an account, one of four of which um, that we have, that we've received as scripture. Um, it's, an, it's an account of Jesus's earthly life and ministry. It's, a, it's one of the things, one of the documents that God has provided for us so that we might know his son, and, and specifically so that we might n- believe. Um, this is what John says. He says, I wrote these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and we, where, where we're at in the Gospel of John is just a couple weeks ago, we saw this beautiful um, picture that Jesus gives of his love for his disciples when he washed their feet. Um, when, when Jesus humbled himself enough to wash his disciples' feet, um, he gave it to them not only as an image of what he wants to do for them and how he saves them and cleanses them from all their sins and how um, anyone who, can, who would come before him and confess their sins can find free and total forgiveness in him, but also an, an account of how you and I ought to serve one another. And Jesus gave us that example of that uh, the, the trustworthy way to know who a true disciple is is if we have love for one another. And uh, in that same time, Jesus told them that he was going away, that he was going to depart, that he was going to go back to his father. And we even saw last week how he dealt with the, his disciples' fear and anxiety over that, that they're not going to have Jesus with them anymore. And so Jesus continues to speak into his disciples in this passage. And we're going to go to John 14, verses 15, and we'll go down through the end of the chapter. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him, and whoever does not love me does not keep my word. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. 
my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than me. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as, my, as the Father has commanded me, so that the world w- may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Father in heaven, one more time we ask that you would make your word clear to us. Father, with such weighty things, who is sufficient? Um, only your Son and your Spirit Um, can make that word come alive to us. And so, Father, I pray in the time that we have left this morning that you would implant this word which is able to save us deep in our hearts and that we might experience communion with you and communion with your Son forever. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, Sam was a friend of mine. Um, He was a friend of mine in high school, and I like Sam because Sam liked to argue. And I come from a family with six brothers, so I am all about having some good arguments. Sam was a friend of mine, and so uh, he and I, when we were in high school, we would go back and forth, and we would debate back and forth. And I I, I love Sam, not only because he loved to argue, but um, because he also was willing to talk with me about my faith. Sam was not a Christian, and so I, I would... Uh, I, I would go back and forth with Sam about uh, the truth of the Bible, and he would give his objections, and I would give my response. And um, I, I, I love those kinds of uh, honest discussions about the things of the Lord. And uh, to this day, to my knowledge, Sam is still an atheist. He still doesn't believe in Christ, which is why it was surprising one time that he told me that um, he had had a spiritual experience that he couldn't explain. That he had this experience with the Lord that may or may not have been induced by substances, and he, uh, he had this experience, and he didn't know how to explain it, and he still called himself an atheist, but he couldn't write the whole thing off, and yet he never did anything else with it. For all the talk of this being a secular age, and an age of atheism, an age where people reject the truth of the gospel, and all those things are often true, there's still something deep inside the soul of every person that longs to know the Lord. There's still something that, there's still a hunger that every person has that is longing for the transcendent, longing to know something that's bigger than them, longing to be in relationship with the divine. Uh, man is, as some authors called, uh, called this, Jonathan Gibson calls it, uh, man is homo liturgicus, the worshiping creature. And that there's still something about each of us that wants to have communion with the divine. And and this passage that we see today um, tells us how we can have communion with God, how we can have communion with God. This passage communicates to us how we might have communion with God. And to talk about that, I'm, I'm going to give you three statements that all begin with the one who. We'll talk, I'll, I'll say it as we're, we're going along. Um, but because this is a little bit in-depth uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to have some summary statements at the end. So if you, if you miss something or if it doesn't quite click, I, I'm going to come back and I'm going to summarize them in, in three statements that I think summarize everything that we're going to see today. 
So three one-who statements, and then we're going to have three summary statements at the end, and then like 70 applications. Uh, first, first statement, the one who loves me, the one who loves me. Um, in this passage, uh, Jesus refers to his disciples as those who love him. This is not to to say that it's not talking about faith and those who believe and those who receive Christ by faith. In fact, actually, Jesus says that, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, when he does die on the cross, when he is risen again for uh, for their justification, that they might believe. So this is not saying something in addition to believing. Rather, it's framing belief as love or desire or affection or yearning or earnestness for the Lord. A a, a disciple of Jesus Christ is one who loves him, who longs for him, who desires him. We see this a number of places in this passage. Verse 15, if you love me. We see this again in verse... uh, We see this again in um, verse 21... Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And in verse 23, if anyone loves me. And verse 24, whoever does not love me. And again, down in verse 28, you have heard me say, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. To to be a disciple of Christ, um, to be a, a Christian, to be a believer in Christ is to be somebody who loves the Lord, who not does works of love, although we'll talk about that the, the, the love that we have for Christ should overflow in works. We'll talk about that. But to, to be a Christian is to be somebody who longs and desires and yearns and hopes for Christ. It's to be somebody who, who wants the water of life, the living water. It's, it's to be someone who who desires to be born again, who it's to be the, the person who longs for Christ like the deer longs for water. That, that's what it means to be a Christian in this passage. That's what it means to be a disciple, is to be somebody who loves Christ, who longs for Him and yearns for Him, who abides in Him, who hopes for Him, who desires Him. That's what a Christian is in this passage. It's the person who loves Jesus. Okay? That's the first one whose statement. Here's the second one. The one who loves me, or the one who loves Christ, will love one another, will love other Christians. It's pretty clear in this passage, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse, verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. The person who loves Christ keeps his commandments, keeps his word. In fact, um, we're even told this down in verse 26, the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. In other words, he'll, he'll remind you of my commandments, of my word, of my, of my scripture. The one who loves Christ keeps his commandments. Well, what are his commandments? It's a good question. Verse, uh, if you go back to the previous chapter, 13 verses 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. 
Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Chapter 15, he says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So what are the commandments that Jesus is referring to? Here, it's the the commandment that we would love one another. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. That the, the love that's being referred to here is a specific kind of love. And certainly, the Bible teaches that we should love other, all people, that we should show do works of love and charity and mercy for, for all those people, for the whole world. Um, but as we talked about two, two weeks ago, um, the Bible's peculiar ethic is that the love of Christians would be directed towards one another. We saw that that there's 30 or 40 commandments in the New Testament. We read through many of them that talk about how if we love Christ, we will love not just all people, but other Christians. Uh, It's so much to say that someone who would claim to be a follower of Christ, someone who would claim to be a Christian, has no right to that if they do not love other Christians. So Jesus says, the one who loves me will keep my commandment. What is that commandment? Well, that commandment is to love one another, to love other Christians, to love his bride, to love the other sheep of his flock. Here's where it gets interesting, is the third one who statement. Okay. The one who loves one another, one who loves other Christians, will have communion with the triune God. Let me say that again. The one who loves other Christians will have communion with the triune God. Now, I, I think it might help, be helpful just to do a refresher real fast. Christians believe that there is one God. You know, the Shema from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is not two, not three, not four, not five. The Lord your God is how many? One, right? So hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. One Christians believe in one God, and that one God is bound up, uh, is is in three persons. So there are three persons in one God: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of them are God, and there's only one God. The Father is not more God than the Son, and the Son's not more God than the Spirit, and the Spirit's not more God than the Father. But all of them are fully God. Everything that it means to be God is true of each of them. That they're, they're, that if you were to say, "Jesus, are you the one true God?" He would say, "Yes." And they would, you'd say, well, what about the Father? He'd say, he's the one true God too. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of them are persons. The Spirit is not the force from Star Wars. All of them are persons, fully persons, and one true God. One true God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, Kevin DeYoung says that this can be summarized in seven statements. There's one God and three persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. One God, three persons. And what this passage is promising you today is that you can have communion, deep, intimate, loving relationship with this one true triune God. That what is on offer for you today is not just a theology lesson, but it's that you might know the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That's what this this passage is promising you today, that you could have this deep, intimate, loving relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's so audacious um, 
that it, you might doubt it if it wasn't so clear in this passage. Look in verse 16. He says, I will, give, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. The word paraclete, the comforter, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. And the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. What's that talking about? It's talking about the, the same spirit, the same Holy Spirit who indwells the Son. The Son is promising for his followers. This is a promise of the fulfillment of the new covenant. Uh, what we read earlier in Ezekiel 36, that God promises to give his people his spirit that they might have communion with him, and we see that the Son is promising the same thing. He says in verse 26, with the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. The Father is promising that the Spirit will come for his people, that when the Son ascends to be at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, when, when the Son leaves his people to prepare a room for them in heaven, he will send the Spirit so that they might not be distant. So, the Son is promising that He will send, ask the Father to send another Helper, the Paraclete, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth. And they will recognize who it is. They will know Him because they've spent the last three years with Jesus and the Spirit has been in Jesus. And here's what is so sur- perhaps surprising to, about this. is Jesus says, when the Spirit comes... When, when I send the Spirit and He indwells you, when you have this communion with the Spirit, you'll have this communion with me. Because this same Spirit dwells in me. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What is He talking about? He's talking about when He sends the Spirit, the Spirit will be the, the bond of union between the Christian and Christ. That because they have the Spirit, because they commune with God through the Spirit, they will commune with Christ. He says, a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. He even goes so far as to say, I will love him and manifest myself to him. The Father says, uh, Jesus says, I'm going to manifest myself to my people through, and they say, well, how? And he says, through the Spirit that the Spirit will be the bond of unity between the Christian and Christ. So what is on offer for you today is not just that you might know the triune God through the Spirit, but rather that when the Son sends the Spirit, that you and I would receive the Spirit and in the Spirit have communion with Christ, with the Son of God. That even though He is in heaven, that when Christians receive Him and they commune with the Spirit, they commune with the Son. It's not to say the Son and the Spirit are the same person, we just said that they're different people, but rather the Spirit's role in the life of the Christian is to give them deep, intimate communion and relationship with the Son. And as if that wasn't enough, the Son promises us that we could have communion not only with the Spirit and not only with the Son, but also with the Father. In fact, he goes so far as to say this in verse 20. And that day you will know that I am in my Father. So he's going to say, in that day when when you receive me, when I come to you through the Holy Spirit, you will know that I have this union, this, this relationship, this intimacy, this communion with the Father. How will they know that? In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you, and me, and I, and you. 
How do they know that the Father and the Son have this deep, intimate communion? Because believers' communion with the Son mirrors the communion that Jesus has with the Father. That you and I are given a relationship with the Son which looks a lot like the relationship the Son has with the Father. It's an audacious thing. This is why it says, He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. I believe perhaps the reason that God brought you here and has you sitting in that chair in this sanctuary is not warm nor cold enough, it's just right to keep you awake, (laughs) is so that you might know that what is on offer for you today is to have deep, lasting, intimate communion with the Spirit and through the Spirit with the Son and through the Son with the Father. The question was, well, how? how? How can I have that communion? Well, you keep his commandments. You keep his commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's, that, that, that's how you have this. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Whoever, verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So how does the Christian have this deep, intimate communion with the Spirit, with the Son, and with the Father? Well, they love one another. They keep his commandment that they should love one another. They should love other Christians, that they should have fellowship with other Christians. Unless you think that this is a one-off, don't worry, I'm not going to give you 40-something verses today, but I will give you one other paragraph from somewhere else in Scripture. 1 John 4, 7-12 through 12 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. How how do you and I have this intimate relationship, this communion, this fellowship with the Spirit, Son, and Father? Well, we love one another. The question is, why? Why is it that our love for one another in some way leads to our intimate relationship and communion with the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. Is it that our love for one another earns the love of God for us? That God is waiting in heaven for us to prove that we really mean it? I don't think so. I don't think it's at earning things. I think rather that in 
the love of one believer for the other and the love of Christians towards one another and the community of faith, when, when Christians show this love for one another, when they commune with them and fellowship with them, when, when Christians love one another, they are expanding and growing and stretching their capacity for love. That, that when you and I engage in this, this relationship where we spend time together and it's costly and it's sacrificial and it takes time and we have to bridge our differences and we're, we're growing in our ability to love one another, then we're also growing in our ability to experience the love of God. The reason that our love for one another leads to a, a deepening of our intimate relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is because that God has so ordained it and designed it that the communion of Christians, the community of faith, the fellowship of believers would become the gym of love. That we would stretch and work out and labor and, and, and do everything we can so that we grow in our capacity to love God. And that as we're growing in our capacity to love one another, so we grow in our capacity to receive the love of God for one another. That the communion of saints, the Christian faith, the, the, the church of God is the place where you and I learn the lessons of love where we grow in our capacity to understand what the love of God looks like and means. And as we grow in our capacity, as we expand in our ability to love one another, so we are more and more open to the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The reason, I think, that our capacity to receive the love that comes from an intimate communion with the triune God. The reason that that is only deepened, the reason we don't have a deeper capacity if we aren't fellowshipping with other Christians is because we couldn't handle it. It's not until we work out that muscle of love and stretch it and expand it and labor in it that we can bear the love of God in Christ for us. When I was um, many years younger, I, I used to do powerlifting at, at a gym. I know it's comical now. <laughs> and I, I, I learned at least on several occasions, the, the lesson of why you need a spotter when you're lifting weights. Because if you try to lift something that is too heavy for you, it will crush you. Christians, if we have not built up the muscles of love, if we have not learned the lessons of love, then if you and I try to draw near to the flame of love, the source of love, the the essence of love and the communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It will crush us. If you and I would experience the love of the triune God and commune with it and taste it, we must be stronger in love than we are now.
And we must grow in our capacity to love, lest it crush us. Now, I don't know if you're paying attention, but I just set you up for failure. Because I have just said the, that the communion with the triune God is waiting for the person who has grown his capacity to give and receive love and the love for one another. And if, if you love one another, that means that you would love Christ. And yet, I, I haven't told you how you can love Christ. Because the reality is if you sit there in that seat and you're just trying to muster up the necessary love for Christ, you will maybe make it across the street back to your car without feeling crushed and desperate. Because which one of us can muster up the ability to love Christ this way? To love Christ so much that we would give that love to other people. Which one of us is sufficient for such things? The answer is, of course, none of us. But this, is, this, this whole chapter is assuming that we've read the chapter that comes before. That we've already read what came before in chapter 13. When, when it said this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. If we do not start with the love of God for sinners that comes before sinners love him, before sinners have the capacity to love him, that love will surely crush us. But, but Christian, be assured that God loves you before you ever have the capacity to love him. Paul, uh, uh, John has already told us that in John 13. He'll say it again in 1 John 4.10, which we just read. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Or as Paul says in Romans 5.8, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or what He says in Galatians 2.24, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me and the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. The book of Ephesians says, while you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God made you alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved through faith. See, the, the initial spark the initial spring of our love for God is actually something that the book of Romans tells us God has poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That He has shed His love in our hearts so that we can love Him in return. How good is God that God loved us enough to send His Son to die for us and that He today is beckoning, beckoning us in deeper to experience more and more of the love of God that would send his people, that would send his son to die for his people. And so we really cannot understand this passage if we don't read the passage that came before and the passage that comes next. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. It says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The love that we have for one another that leads to this deep, intimate communion with Christ itself springs forth only when we have come to encounter this love that God has for sinners and that while we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for the ungodly. So let me summarize all of this with three three statements. Number one, we love because he loved us. We love, we love him because he loved us. Number two, we love us others because we love him. We love others because we love him. And number three, God loves us, or we walk in this communion with God, that we receive the love of God for us when we love others. Not because, as we've explained, but when we love others, we can walk in the communion of this triune God. So let me leave you with five applications. Five applications. Number one is this. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. You you have to learn how to take that from the third person to the first person. You have to learn how to say, it's not just that God loves sinners, but that he loved me, a sinner. There's this uh, great theologian, who, um, who was asked several times, and he gave the same answer um, every time. If you could summarize everything that you've written in your life, what would, it, what would you say? And he, he said, for, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Maybe you're here today and you think, there's no way God could love me. There's no way that God would give his love for me. There's no way that I could say, not just that God loves sinners, but that God loves me a sinner. Why would God love me a sinner? And I would just encourage you, if you're feeling that in your soul today, to argue with yourself. Because if God can love all the other people in the Bible that are so messed up and so screwed up, if he can love, uh, if he can love David and Peter and Jacob and Judah, you want a story of God's love, go study the story of Judah in the book of Genesis. If God can love them, then surely he can love you. It is an arrogant thing to think, I'm the exception. I'm the only one that the, the infinite, endless love of God for sinners could not love. Oh, Christian, we must put it into our heads to remember that God loves me, a sinner. Number two, abide in his love. Abide in his love. Of course, we'll talk much more about this in the week to come. We'll talk a lot more about what it means to abide in the love of Christ, that, that like, the, like the branches get life from the vine, so you and I must must Christ, we must come back to this well of love, to the spring of love, to the spark of love, to the pilot light of love again and again throughout our life.
um, that there is no way that we'll be able to maintain a love for Him or for others if we are not abiding in the love of God in Christ for us. But, but if I could just encourage you, um, in order to abide in His love, I don't know how to abide in His love without being in His Word. I, just, I, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to, how to abide in His love without reading His Word and seeing the ways that He's loved so many other people other than me, that He's that his, uh, learning the depths of His love and seeing His love. I don't know how to abide in His love without abiding in His Word. So if you're wondering, wondering practically, how do I do that? How do I abide in His love? Well, abide in His Word. Read His Scriptures. Get to know them. Memorize them. Commit them to your heart. Chew on them. Swallow them. Be nourished by them. And then you will know a little bit of the love of God in Christ for you. Abide in His love. Number three, number three, we need to commit ourselves, commit ourselves to costly, sacrificial, regular, habitual love for other Christians. Um, That if to love him, if to love him um, means that we love one another, that we love other Christians, then, then we need to commit ourselves to costly, sacrificial, regular, habitual community with other Christians. Uh, here at Grace, obviously, we have a number of ways to do that. We have our, our small group ministry, our men's and women's study. Um, if you want to come and get trashed at basketball, then come play basketball with us. Not beca- because I, I also get trashed. I need, yeah. Um, <laughs> the bottom line is this. If you were to say, I like Jesus, but not the church, Jesus would say to you, then you don't really like me. Because where you find me, where you grow that muscle of love is in communion with other Christians. Uh, Number three, we need to treasure the love of the triune God. We need to treasure the love of the triune God. If, If I think about this and I wonder, why am I not better at this? Why am, I not, why am I not better at, at loving others? Why am I not better at loving others as God has loved me? Uh, the sad answer is that far too often, far too often, um, it's because I don't treasure the love and the communion, the intimacy and the depth that come from loving others. We, we need to set aside in our hearts the, the value that comes, the inestimable worth that comes when we can have the love of God. We need to decide that communing with the triune God is worth it, especially if it means that I I grow in my communion with the triune God by communing with other Christians. We need to make that decision in our hearts. And finally, number five. Uh, We need to hope for the day where we will see Christ face to face. Um, Because in that day, we will have no doubts about the depths of his love. In that day, we will have no fears that it might vanish at any minute. But rather, we will see him and we will know him even as we are known. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, one of my (laughs) theological heroes, um, 
preached a sermon called Heaven is a World of Love. We have an excerpt of this in your bulletin. I'd just like to read this. Oh, what a tranquility there will be in such a world as this. And who can express the fullness and the blessedness of this peace? What a calm this is this, how sweet and holy and joyous. What a haven of rest to enter having, after having passed through the storms and tempests of this world in which pride and selfishness and envy and malice and scorn and contempt and contention and vice are as waves of a restless ocean, always rolling and often dashed about in violence and fury. What a canaan of rest to come to. After going through this waste and howling wilderness full of snares and pitfalls and poisonous serpents where no rest could be found. And oh, what a joy will there be springing up in the hearts of the saints after they have passed through their wearisome pilgrimage to be brought to such a paradise as this. Here is joy unspeakable indeed and full of glory, joy that is humble, holy, enrapturing, and divine in its perfection. Love is always a sweet principle, and especially divine love. This, even on earth, is a spring of sweetness, but in heaven it shall become a stream, a river, an ocean, all that stand about the God of glory, who in the great fountain of love, opening, as it were, their very souls to be filled with those effusions of love that are poured forth from His fullness. Just as the flowers on the earth in the bright and joyous days of the spring open their bosoms to the sun to be filled with his light and warmth and to flourish in beauty and fragrancy under his cheering rays. Every saint in heaven is as a flower in that garden of God. A holy love is the fragrance and sweet odor that they all send forth and with which they fill the bowers of that paradise above. Every soul there is as a note in some concert of delightful music that sweetly harmonizes with every other note and all together blend in the most rapturous strains in praising God and the Lamb forever. And so all help each other to their utmost to express the love of the whole society to its glorious Father and Head and to pour back love into the great fountain of love once they are supplied and filled with love and blessedness and glory. And thus they will love and reign in love and in that godlike joy that is its blessedness fruit that is its blessed fruit, such as I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor hath ever entered into the heart of man in this world to conceive, and thus in the full sunlight of the throne, enraptured with joys that are forever increasing and yet forever full, they shall live and reign with God and Christ forever and ever. Amen. Father, we long for the day when we will be as flowers in the garden of God. Where we will open up to receive the love that you have given us and where we will give that love back to the fountain of our love. Oh, Father, what a day when malice and anger and hatred cease. Father, we praise you that you have given us a foretaste of that now. That as we commune with one another, so we too can commune with you. And be filled with your glory. So Father, I pray for us as we go forth from this place. Would you help us not to lose sight of the love of God in Christ for us? Would you help us to be willing to take those acts of bold and sacrificial love for one another? Father, would you fill us with the love of your Son who came to save sinners?
Father, would you send your spirit in his name that we might sense and feel this sweet communion of love forever and ever where one day is brighter than the next. Until then, Father, we pray that you would put breath in our lungs that we might give to you all honor and praise and glory forever and ever. Amen.